guess I dropped the mic before I even started, so I guess we're done. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. As you can tell, uh, Pastor Brian is out of town this weekend. He had some, um, uh, he had a graduate and his family, and he's gone to, I think, in the Metroplex area to be to be there, and he'll be back this afternoon. And uh, so I'm glad to be bringing the message today. And I'd like for us to start with a, with a word of prayer before we start. Let me get this situated. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for, uh, especially for the rain that you sent this morning. Pray that we, uh, in your good timing, we get some more. And we, we just uh, want to give this time completely to you, Lord. We, we're here to praise your name. We're here to worship you. We're here to to uh, seek your face and have your word speak to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would remove the distractions this morning that come, remove them from uh, in front of us, from around us. Pray that, uh, that your word and your message would be what we hear and what we, and what we focus on. We thank you for each person here. and just Thank you for these graduates that have been recognized. And uh, we just uh, pray that you'll empower them as they go forth from this, this milestone in their lives. And we just uh, offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you may remember in the last several weeks, um, we've done a couple of sermon series. The last, actually, the last couple of three months, we've done some sermon series. One of them was, uh, I think it's the last time I brought a message, was during the uh, parables series. And then just last week, Pastor Brian wound up the bold series, if you were here for that. And so when we looked at the schedule, is that on? Looked at the schedule um, and knew that he'd be gone today, he said, well, why don't you just do a one-off? He said, just do a one-off. And, man, I, I like doing a one-off. I love doing a one-off because if, uh, and, and I like the series, but um, when I do a message, it's hard for me to conform to that series sometimes. And so um, I was really glad to do this. I'm really, I really like to do this kind of thing. Um, and I usually, I'm going to do this backwards today. I know that's probably not a real shocker to you. I'm, I'm walking around this pulpit. I move the pulpit back up here. I'm going to explain. I'm going to use this as part of my message. Normally we, hit, we don't have the pulpit here, but for this Sunday I'm using it as part of my message. Um, but I usually begin getting us into the Word. You know, get start with the scripture, get right into the word, because I've made the comment in the past that if you have Sunday school or Bible study or uh, worship service and don't get into the word, you've really missed the boat. So, but this time I'm going to, I'm going to set this up a little bit different. I'm going to share the word with you last. Um, and I want to tell you, you can see the title up there. Well, you, the title's not there. Um, the title of this sermon, of this message, is Live Like You're Forgiven. Live Like You're Forgiven. Um, and the inspiration for this message came from an old song. I don't know how old it is. I don't, I, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's been around for a while, but I then shall live as one who's been forgiven, is the, is the first line. Uh, and when I, this week in our pastor's meeting, we meet once a, once a week early on Tuesday morning, uh, I had shared with uh, John and Brian that this was going to be 
the message about uh, living like you're forgiven. And, and John said something that stayed with me. I know that's a shock maybe. But he said something that stayed with me for the rest of the week. And uh, he said, that, that's a great message because so many Christians don't live like they're forgiven. And I started thinking that took that a little bit further. So many Christians, baby Christians, more mature Christians, completely mature Christians, don't really know, don't really live like they're forgiven because um, they don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it looks like. And that's not their fault. That's our fault. You know, we who have been saved should be modeling Jesus Christ. So that, that blame, we're, we're called to be his light, to be his salt. We should be modeling that for baby Christians. So some of the, of the reason is they, they just don't know what that looks like. And then to go on with that, they don't know how. You know, you're not, when you come to Jesus Christ and ask him into your heart, like we saw a great, a great example last week whenever Jeremy and Mays and uh, Evie, sorry, I've seen your moments. That was one of them. <laughs> made it public. They had asked Jesus Christ in their heart before that. They made it public, a real special thing, a real special thing. Once that's done, they don't know how to go on from there. That's, that's where we take over. That's where discipleship begins. And um, as I was thinking about that, um, you can see the song. You can see the first line of that song um, on the screen. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. Uh, that's what this message is all about. Living like you're forgiven. Do you know what that looks like? If you're a mature Christian, do you know what that looks like? Do you know what forgiveness actually means? Do you know what that actually means? I was so happy that this, the last song that the worship team did, that John picked it probably for this reason it talked about we're completely forgiven for Jesus Christ our living hope fit perfectly thank you John perfectly with this with this message if I ask you to tell me what forgiveness really means you might be sitting there thinking man that's an easy one I know what that is I know how I know what what that means what forgiveness means but do you really do you really know what being forgiven means and what that looks like to be lived out there, there's the, there's the, the thing. Um, let me give you an easy-to-remember definition of forgiveness. And it's just, it's just my paraphrase of what probably the dictionary says, but <laughs> that's good right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> an easy-to-remember definition is letting somebody off the hook completely. That's Forgiveness. Letting somebody off the hook completely. That's what God does. It's hard for human beings to do that. Um, you may not know this, but I've been married, um, Jennifer and I have been married almost 46 years. Almost 46 years. This summer will be 46 years. And as I was make, putting together this message, I was thinking, you know, Jennifer has an unbelievable capacity to forgive. She does. Look at the 46 years. If that doesn't tell you something, she has an unbelievable capacity to forgive because let me tell you something. We've known each other for about 49 years. We've dated for a while before we got married. But if she, I have done some colossal, 
colossal foul-ups. I've done so many things that if she wasn't a forgiving person, I've said many times that if it was a, a different woman would have left my sorry self a long time ago. But that ability she has to forgive has been a key part of keeping us together. That's a great, that's a great example of forgiveness. Um, the thing about the thing that makes forgiveness hard is this. I told you God completely forgives, lets us off the hook completely, and that's true. That's true. The thing about when you shift that forgiveness, forgiving people to humans, I can tell you, I can say, uh, Chris, I forgive you for doing that, and I may, and I'll mean it. I, I'll mean whatever that was. I'll mean it. But the trouble with humans is we, forgetting is, is, is the problem. Forgetting that is the problem. I can forgive you or you can forgive me, but as humans, we can't do with it what God does with it. We can't do that. If you think, think about your, in your own marriage, if you're married, think about your own marriage. If you've really messed up and, you're, and really caused a problem with your spouse, and then they say, well, I'll forgive it. I'll forgive you. If you if that comes up again later on, you'll see it hadn't been forgotten. That happens all the time. As long as we're in this earthly body, we're going to have a problem with complete forgiveness. It's going to be really difficult, isn't it? We can oh, I'm getting out of the camera. We can forgive, but it's never like God does. It's never like God does. We practice forgiveness, we do the best we can. But as long as we're on earth, that, forgive, that forgetting is going, to be, is going to be difficult because we're human, because we are. Um, the, I told you the huge difference between God's forgiveness and ours. I was reading this morning a devotional as I, before I came to church that did a lot better at explaining that than I ever could. And you can keep this picture in your mind. When God forgives, it's like, have you ever seen... Um, been around when a brand new dry erase board comes up. Man, you can write all over that sucker and you can take that eraser and it's gone. You can have no clue what was underneath there. The older that board gets, the more you start seeing those shadows underneath. You can erase it and finally it'll get to the point where you can take that industrial cleaner they make for that and it still leaves some stains well when God forgives it's like a brand new dry erase board it's like whatever was written on there whatever problem you had whatever whatever sin you committed that booger is just raced completely off that's a brand new board again that's where we stand with God that's his forgiveness that's his that's an example of his complete forgiveness and we're somewhere out there on the, on the old, older, getting older dry erase board where we erase it, but there's still that shadow underneath there of that forgetting part. It's hard to get rid of that completely. And I thought that was a really good, really good example. And it, it was a really good God thing that I saw that right before this message. Um, the thing about that forgiveness, are, are you living like you're forgiven? When I keep thinking about that, I wonder... It, it caused me to ask myself, am I living like someone who's forgiven? Am I living as one who's been forgiven? When people see me, do they see, what do they see? 
when people spend some time with me, and I'm, you can put yourself, instead of me, put your name in that blank. When people spend time with you, do they see a picture of Jesus Christ? Do they see someone who is different? There's a good way to put it. That when you think about living a life of the one who's been forgiven, when they see you, and when they spend time with you, do they see someone who is different from the world? Or do they see someone who, <laughs> it's hard to even tell they know Christ? And that convicted me, because there's times in my life, there's times, even now, there's times, uh, probably with all of us, when what people see is really not what you'd like for them to see. And I'm going to ask you, as I bring this message this morning, I'm going to ask you to uh, keep that part in mind. Are you li- Think about that. Are you living as one who's been forgiven? Live like you're forgiven. Um, and let me let me explain. I'm, I'm gonna. I, you'll notice I asked, I said I'm gonna ask you to do that. Um, I always ask. I always. I never say I want you to do this. Even no matter what it is, even in life, I never say I want you to go do this. I'll never say Tanya, go do that. I don't do that because I always. I'll always ask. Will you? Will you consider this? Will you do this? I never give a directive if I don't have to. I had a lot of years of doing that as a boss. I won't do it anymore. But it stems from, the, the reason I got this, this pulpit up here, it stems fr- from way back. And I say way back. Uh, I was a boy in the late, I know y'all don't, some of you don't realize this even existed, but there was a decade called the 50s and 60s. And I was, <laughs> I was a a boy in the last couple of years of the 50s and all the 60s. And uh, my younger brother and I and our, my mom and dad attended a Baptist church in Austin. And uh, during that 10-year period of the 60s, about the time I could remember things, you know, I was four in 1960, so midway through the 60s, I could remember things uh, real well. And so we'd go to church. And during that time, there were a couple of different pastors during that decade. And but they both had one thing in common. <laughs> they could preach hell so hot that you could feel the heat, let me tell you, every Sunday. And that, and I say every Sunday, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm wrong. And they'd go along there and um, they'd have message after message of fire and brimstone. And they would go along and they'd get so excited preaching and they would <laughs> like, point the finger and whip on that that uh, pulpit and I tell you the truth it scared a little fat boy about halfway back half to death and I would leave after that church service was over feeling bad just feeling like man I can never ever measure up what can I do to measure up I there was no message for there was no real put forth message of forgiveness the method in the 60s was different. People still came to Christ. You know, people were saved in the 60s. You don't hear that end up. You hear the beads and sandals and long hair and, and uh, demonstrations and stuff, but people still came to Christ in the 60s. Praise the Lord, our method has changed. Our mission is the same, but our method of doing things has changed completely. And by the way, the pulpit that they would beat on wasn't like this streamlined, nice 
you know, modern pulpit, it would be like a big piece of furniture. And it almost, like John said, this almost needs steps to get up to it. It was so big. And when they hit that sucker, it would sound like a drum and just scare you to death. It was only later on that somebody told me about love and forgiveness. In fact, a lot later on. And I think of the many times that if the, if the method had been a little bit different, when would I have come to know Christ? If forgiveness had been modeled, if I had seen that, if I had seen that message, message lived out, when would I have come to know Christ? Would it have been sooner? Um, I'd like for you to look at the screen there. You've got the first couple of lines of that song, I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. We've talked about that, what that looks like. Uh, but then the rest of the, I only look at one verse there, but each line is what inspired this message. I'll walk with joy to know my debts are paid. Uh, we, all know, we all know that Jesus Christ, our living hope, as the song said a minute ago, has paid the debt in full. But that walking with joy, that's the thing I want you to, to, to notice, walking with joy. I've said before in, in messages, the Lord wants us to ha experience a life of joy. It doesn't mean that you're going to be happy all the time. It doesn't mean the circumstances might be bad or might change for, for, not for the better. That joy of the Lord you have. Walk, walking with joy. The Lord wants us to have joy. And the, knowing that our debt is paid, knowing that we stand perfect before the Father, should bring you joy. And that joy should be something that, you know, of course, you're going to lose your temper sometime. We're human. Of course, you're going to have bad things happen. We're human. But that joy of the Lord should shine eventually. The joy of the Lord should be the thing that people see the most. And that's one way to show, to model that forgiveness. Um, I know my name is clear before the Father. That little example of, of the dry erase board, the dry erase board says it better than what I could say right now, but um, your record has been completely expunged. You know, that's a, that's a name you hear, like, if you watch much TV and you see some of these criminal shows, his record was expunged so nobody can find out what he did. That's a perfect example of what God does. Record has been expunged. Nobody can even go dredge it up. Your record is gone. It's as far as the east is from the west. Nobody can find it. When, when you do something, Jesus Christ died for your sins, past, present, future, and God remembers them no more. When he sees you, he sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ, his perfect son. He see, that's what he sees. And you may be thinking, well, it says elsewhere in the word, you know, to confess our sins. First John 1, 9, confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's for you. When you confess your sin, God, he already knows them. That's for you. That's to keep your fellowship from being broken with him. Confessing those sins, God already knows them. When he sees you, I don't, say, I don't know what he says because I can't, I can't determine what God says at any time, but I'm thinking he's saying, what sin? I only see the perfect blood of my perfect son Jesus Christ I want to see that blood you're forgiven live like it I am his child and I am not afraid I'm, a child and I'm not afraid and that may be the one of the most special things about this little verse of this song not only are you his child you're an heir the word says that you are an heir of a living God 
uh, we sang a song, I don't remember the name of it right now, but we used to sing a song called, uh, it says, Joint Heirs with Jesus. Being an heir is a real special thing. I see Gloria Williams singing that song as I say it. Joint heir, an heir of a living God. You know that an heir is a special thing and that it's not like, it's not like uh, anything, it's the only thing like it is. An heir, um, I don't know how to explain this. Oh, I, I know how. I see Chris Cadness sitting right there. My son, I have three sons, and as they're growing up, the oldest son was a friend of Chris Cavanaugh's. And we had other guys that would come over to the house at times, and they would make Some of them went on vacation with us. Some of these guys were real special to our family. But it wasn't the same as my sons. My sons are, uh, own everything I have. Everything I have is theirs. Everything Jennifer and I have is theirs. They're my heir. You know, I may love these other guys, these other young men who were hanging out with my son. I may, you know, thank the world of them, but at the end of the day, they're not mine. They go somewhere else. They, my sons are heirs. Your children are your heirs. It's a special thing. I know you've, you've thought that. You can have kids around, kids around, but when your kid shows up, it's a special thing. You are a kid of the living God. You're a child of a living God. That should drive out your fear. Of course, we're going to be afraid of things. In this human body, we're going to be afraid. But knowing that you're an heir, knowing that you are that special, you can walk unafraid. And the last one on the song that I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to talk about here is, so, great, so since I'm greatly pardoned, uh, I'll forgive my brother. So since I've been pardoned, I'll forgive my brother. Ever find yourself criticizing somebody for what they've done whenever you've done the exact same thing not long ago? It happens. It happens. Sometimes to forgive other people is hard. I said a while ago it's easy to forgive, hard to forget. Well, sometimes it's even hard to forgive. Uh, I know we, I've brought up, every time I touch that, it goes off. Um, I lost my train of thought right there. Um, it's hard to forgive, hard to forgive. I know we talk about uh, sometimes we, we bring up certain people, and if you can think of a certain person, automatically you get a picture. And in Mason, Texas, when everybody's got memories a mile long, they can remember stuff 30 years ago. I have a son who's remembered as the one who put sugar in somebody's gas tank. That's the way, that's the way it is. He's a preacher now. But that's what he's remembered for. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to forget those things. Um, but that's one thing that is a characteristic of somebody who lives that forgiveness, forgiving others, forgiving others. Nothing I'm telling you is real easy, is it? It's hard. Being a human here on earth in this day and time, any day and time, it's hard to practice that. But to exhibit it is what we should strive for. Um, The law of love I gladly will obey. Since God has shown me so much love and we know he does this for us, that's where it should all start, loving others. And that's where we are. You know, I said the method has changed in this day and time. That's part of our, the method we use now, loving other people, loving people, 
with the love of Christ, reaching out to others, including them with the love of Christ. That's another, another part of that forgiveness. I'm going to do something a little bit different now. Um, I'm going to go to the scripture I was telling you about, and one of them, both of them you'll find fairly familiar, but I, don't, I want you to do something different. I don't want you to open the word. I don't want you to go to your device on this first passage of scripture. I'm going to read the passage. I want you to focus on that. Um, it's not up there yet. That's okay. There's, going, there's a picture. Yeah, that's it. I want you to focus on that picture right there of that, of that knight in armor. Um, the two scripture patches I've chose, chosen for today are, from, are both letters from Paul. Are both The Apostle Paul wrote both of them. One in Romans and one in Ephesians. I'm going to start with Ephesians. And before we start reading it, I want to uh, point out that Paul has a real um, distinctive, I should say, uh, maybe particular style of writing. Paul wrote a lot of the, a lot of the New Testament, and you can see in, uh, in his writings and all the letters that there's a particular way he writes. And one of the things that he does... And uh, I want you, and I'm going to start teaching here just for a minute. One of the things he does is the use of that, of the word, therefore. If you're in the Berean group, you'll probably have heard me say this till you're tired of hearing it. But when you see that word, when Paul writes that word, therefore, it means something. It means you know to do something. When you see that word as the beginning of a sentence, of course, he uses it somewhere down in, in, in the different structures of the verses, but when you see it at the beginning of a new verse, stop and reread what you just read, because that therefore means that now since you know all this stuff I just said, here's what you do with it, every time. It doesn't matter which epistle you're talking about, every time Paul says that, you know from here on out, stop, take notice, turn around and look at what he just said, because all he's doing is outlining the problem, outlining the situation, and he's saying, since now you know, this is what you do. Something I love to say, Paul's saying, this is your how-to. This is your how-to. Um, so look back when you see that word how-to. I mean, therefore. Uh, so I, I mentioned I want you to keep your Bibles closed, and I'm going to read from a... I want you to um, look at each piece of this as I read it. I'm going to start in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore, okay, there it is right there. Therefore, stop and look at what he just told you. He just identified something. He just identified the problem. Since you, I'll back up to verse uh, 12 there. He says, since our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against authorities and powers of this dark world. Here's what you do. He said, therefore, here's what you do. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, 
when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. With a belt of truth buckled around your waist. I don't know if you can see what's printed there or not, but it shows the, the belt of truth. And what does a what does a belt do? What's he telling us there? The belt. It surrounds you. It goes completely around you, right? When he refers to the belt of truth, he's talking about this is where you begin. Surround yourself with truth. Surround yourself with truth. And what's the truth? This is the truth. The truth is in here. Surround yourself with the truth. Let it encompass you. With a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your with the breastplate of righteousness in place, the breastplate is protection for what? Your heart. Your heart. Put on your heart protection. The breastplate of of uh, the breastplate of righteousness. With that in place, your heart is covered. This this armor covers the Christian completely. Um, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Your feet fitted with the readiness, ready to go with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. Something you carry, something not worn, something you pick up and carry. Take the helmet of salvation. Helmet goes on top of your head. What's that protecting? Your mind, your, in this case, your mind, the helmet of salvation, the knowledge that you've been saved, the knowledge that you are his. Take that, put on that helmet to protect your mind. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take up your sword and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And that, that list of stuff there is it is such a cool list and such a well, good explanation of protection we need. I want you to notice something, though. Of all those, all those items on that list, on that picture, are all, there's a, there's a, there's a difference in one of them. All those items, um, I may have gotten ahead of myself here. There's something in particular, particular as you look at the piece of the armor, there's something different about one item on there. All those pieces of armor are defensive pieces, aren't they? Except one. You notice that? You know what I mean? They're all for your defense. They're all for your protection, except one. You notice what that is? Somebody. The sword. The sword. And you might be sitting there thinking that even the sword is a defensive weapon. But the thing different about the sword is you you have to move it to defend yourself. You have to move it. As soon as that sword is moved, it becomes an offensive weapon. The sword is different from the rest of the armor. 
You can't keep the sword in one place and protect yourself. You've got to move it. The sword is what? The word just said the sword of, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The sword of Spirit is the word of God. You've got to move it. You've got to move your sword. You've got to use the sword. Um, and it's, it's uh, an offensive word. And it's fitting that the word of God, that they call it the sword of spirit, is the word of God. Because the word of God has been, of, has been offensive to the unsaved world for centuries. The word of God offends people. Uh, the word of God is for our salvation. The word of God is for our protection. But the word of God has offended people for centuries. You've got to pick up that sword. To live as one who's been forgiven, you have to have the sword. You have to have the word of God. Um, so, with that thought in mind, that sword is your, is, is your offensive weapon. Let's grab your sword and go over to Romans. And I do want you to open your, your Bible up in this particular case. Go to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start with verse 1 and 2. Verse 1. Romans chapter 8, therefore, there's that word again, therefore, therefore, we're going to look back and see what that he just said. He said, what a wretched man I am, in verse 24 of chapter 7, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of, of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ will rescue me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Set free. No condemnation. Living as one who's been forgiven, that's something we need to constantly remind ourselves. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for you. Nothing can pull you out of his hand. You can live a life as if you're forgiven, because nothing can take you out of his hand, nothing. Once Jesus said, they are my sheep, I know them, I call them my name, I have them in the palm of my hand, and nothing can remove them. And you know that nothing even means you? You ever think about that? That nothing includes you. You cannot pull yourself from Jesus' hand. Once you've accepted him as Savior, you cannot pull yourself out of Jesus' hand. And I know you can say that, and I've said the same thing, well, I can mess up really, really bad. I'll just go back to what the Word says. Take your sword out and look at that. He died for your sins, past, present, future. Past, present, future. He's died for all your sin. You cannot remove yourself from his hand once you've accepted him. Um, move over to, to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? Is God is for us, who can be against us? There is no condemnation. God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died, 
More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of, of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? At it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's, that covers everything, doesn't it? That covers everything. Everything is covered with that precious blood. I want you to back up and I want to make... I usually say I'm going to make one point on every message. I'm going to leave you this one point. Well, I'm going to break that rule today. I'm going to leave you two points today. Um, I don't know what time it is or how I'm doing. Oh, it's, it is time. Um, I'm going to leave you with two points. And one of them, I need you to back up to verse 37 and look. And it will be the one point. If you'll notice in verse 37, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And usually I focus on that conquerors part, what that means. But I want you to focus on a little bitty word there that is, that is skipped over by me and a lot of other people. In all these things, you are. That word are. Are. More than conquerors. Not you're going to be. Not that you might be. Not that if you do this, if you do that, if you say the right things, if you do the right thing, not that. Once you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, wash you clean, save you, become your Savior and Lord, you already, you have the Holy Spirit, you already are more than a conqueror. That's the good news. You already are more than a conqueror. All these things I've discussed this morning, you already have. You already have the ability to have them, to do them. That picture of that night that was up there a while ago, you already are more of a conqueror than what he was. You already are that. Take heart in that. That's the point I want you to leave here. Remember, take heart. If you're not living like you're forgiven, you have the capacity to do it. You can do it. Uh, and the other thing is, it requires a sword. To live like you're forgiven requires a sword. I want you to remember this. This, this is the other point. I want you to remember, you've got to move your sword. You've got to move the sword. And that is the Word of God. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. To be more than, a, you already are more than a conqueror. You already have the ability to do it. Spend some time in the Word. Start wielding that sword. And I was told the other day by a, a preacher at, a, at a, a meeting that uh, he gets up every morning at 4 o'clock. He reads three or four chapters, sometimes 10 or 12 chapters of the Word. I'm not about to stand up here and tell you that's what you need to start doing. But because I don't have time to do that. But I tell you what, if you're going to start wielding that sword, if you're going to start moving that sword, get, get up whenever you do, or whenever time you have, read three or four verses. Some mornings I get up and only, I only read four verses. Read what you can digest. Don't set out to say, I'm going to have to read six verses or I'm going to get so far behind on my schedule. That's what I do. That's what I used to do. 
Worry about the schedule. Don't worry about the schedule. Worry about what the Word says. If you can't digest but two or three verses, don't read but two or three verses. If you don't have time to read four or five verses, read one. Read one. Spend some time in the Word. That's the other point. You, can, you need to pick up the sword. One of two points. You are a conqueror already. Pick up your sword and move. All these things that I say that you have and the things that you can... Um, the things that you can do, the things that you should do, picking up your sword are more than conquerors. All that is to say that that's happened when you just accepted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you never asked him to come into your life to wash you clean, to set your feet on the solid ground, to be your Savior and Lord, there's no better time than right now. No better time. Uh, the worship team's going to come up, sing a, to, to sing a hymn of invitation, to a song of invitation. As they come up, I want you to think about that. If you need to make a decision this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, don't wait. Don't wait until the, pre the real preacher's back. It'll be, it'll be okay. Come on up. Somebody will come down and pray with you. I'll be down front. Come on up. If, you need, if you'd like to join this church, if you'd like to be a member of this church, come up. Uh, we, could, we would really love to have you. Uh, if you need to move your letter, 